Friends, say hi to somebody this morning. junior high this morning, 6th through 8th grade, we do have a service for you, and you're welcome to exit and head out to the deck to meet the person that will lead you. I forget his name right now. You'll know who he is. All right, welcome to Sierra Bible Church this morning. My name is Amy. If we haven't met, I'm part of the staff here. And if you are new or visiting, make sure you please take that information in front of your pocket or front seat pocket. Um, that has information about the weekly happenings here at Sierra Bible Church. We also have a gift for you um, at our info booth. And so if that's you this morning, then I'd love to give that gift to you on your way out. Um, as far as gifts are concerned, many of you uh, probably saw the hoodies out front and the hats, and those are gifts also. And so we talked about that a little bit last week. Um, Jesse will talk about it this morning. If you weren't here last week and you don't know what's going on, he will explain that to you. I know a lot of you had, were coming through asking what's going on or how much they cost. And so Jesse will talk about, talk about that with you. But we do have plenty. So if you didn't grab one on the way in, you can do that on the way out. So don't worry about that. Don't stress. All right. Let's see what else. Um, all right. Let's just move on then. So I just have a couple things to share with you this morning. One of them uh, is coming up next Saturday. Uh, it's an event we run annually. I don't know how many times we've done it, but it's happening again because it's November. And we are having our turkey shoot on Saturday, November 18th, all right? This is at Boca Shooting Range. And as you can see, these are targets that you shoot at and they're shaped like turkeys. Hence, turkey shoot. I don't know who thought of that, but I thought it was pretty smart. Um, we won't be shooting live animals because that feels unsafe. Not that, you know, shooting to targets is any safer. But anyways, okay. So uh, this is a family activity. We would love for you to come. It's a kind of a little fun all-day outdoor thing. We have breakfast. We have lunch. Um, we have prizes. And so we'd love for you to sign up online. Let us know you're going to be there this first half hour or so. You'll get some food. We will sign some waivers, and we'll get you signed up for... It sounds like a good idea, right? So we will have... And then you'll get to sign up for the different events. So there's, there's events specifically for the kids, and there's events for the adults. And so that is all happening this Saturday. 
Uh, something that is happening actually starting in January, but I want to let you know about it now because we want you to sign up for it now if you would like to. And that is we are introducing SBC Community Dinners. Um, and so let me try to explain this better because I didn't do a great job the first time around. This is my second time around, so it's going to be really good. All right. So Community Dinners. This is something happening January through April, where if you are someone, whether you are a giant family, like the Lynn family, okay, we love them, they're amazing, or you're a single person, or you're a couple, um, it doesn't matter what size, you know, your family is, if you would like to be invited to a dinner January, February, March, and April to connect with other people here, then you want to sign up for this because that is what it's going to uh, do for you. And in that, you're also saying, I also want to host one of those months, all right? So you're going to be invited to dinners. You're going to host a dinner. If you are someone that can't host for whatever reason, you live in a small apartment or something else, then you can still sign up. We still want you to sign up. We want, we want to know if you want to be involved. And so the signups are now through mid December so that we can get the calendar going for all these months. And Carson Swenson's in charge of this. She will orchestrate all the things. She will connect with all the families and all the people that want to be involved and set up all the details. Thankfully, I don't have to do any of these things because she, is, she just has a heart to do this. But if this interests you in any way, um, I would encourage you to sign up. It's not a commitment. If January rolls around and you got confused and signed up for the wrong thing, then we'll let you go. Um, but I want you to make sure you know, so SBC Community Dinners um, starting in January, all right? And with that, we are going to continue in the book of Ephesians with Pastor Jesse. Oh, good morning. Oh, that was weak. Good morning. Okay. Obviously, it's real good for some of you. Hey. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will hand you a Bible. Just keep your hand up. Uh, and like uh, Amy mentioned, we are in Ephesians. So turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We will finish, don't laugh, the first gathering laughed. We will finish this book this month. Okay? Uh, you laughed. I told you not to laugh. Uh, and uh, that's because we have Advent season coming up. And, and so we need to come to a, a conclusion in this book. And we will. We have some things lined up for <clears throat> after Easter. Uh, and we'll dive into the book of Corinthians, I think 1 Corinthians right after Easter, and we'll, we'll let you guys know about some of those things as time goes on. But uh, let me just add a, a couple things. One, um, if you are new here, we're glad that you're here, and your front pocket is a little card. tells you a little bit about the church, some of the things that we have going on. There's a QR code. Take a little picture of that if you know how to do that. That'll take you to our newsletter. It gives you an opportunity to sign up for uh, the way that we kind of get all our information out. And then... Um, uh, I wanted to make mention, too, <clears throat> because, it, you know, people are funny. I don't know if you know this or not, but people are funny. And somehow, some way, it got out, you know, hey, the SBC is giving out all these really cool sweaters and these really cool hats. And somebody was like, oh, my gosh, the church has so much money. Look at how, look at how much they're doing with their money. They're just buying the church sweaters. 
we didn't, the church did not buy those sweaters. So you're really clear. I would love to take credit for it and be like, I bought the sweaters. It was me. I did it. But I didn't do it. Someone in the church donated all of those sweaters and they wanted to make sure that you got one for free. So uh, though they are free, they were not uh, paid for by the church. There was an individual donor who made sure all those got done for you. They wanted to bless you. They wanted to gift you. Uh, especially as Christmas is coming up. It's an individual that considers SBC uh, a major part of their family, and they just wanted to love on their family. And so you get to be nice and cozy, uh, and you get to tell everybody uh, that you worship at Sierra Bible Church. And and um, someone said, hey, when you're wearing that Sierra Bible Church hat around town, you might want to be a little bit more mindful of what comes out of your mouth. Okay? That's all those hats are. They're accountability checks. Um, yeah, if, if you don't have a Bible, do I have some ushers in the room? Did you guys already hand out the Bibles? I already did that. Okay. All right. Uh, so we've been in this book for a while, and I <clears throat> have told you almost every single Sunday that I, I really feel like Ephesians, outside of probably the Gospels, is just really, especially for those of you in the room, and I know that's most of you, that you consider yourself a Christ follower, you follow after the Lord. You want to develop your relationship with Him. You want to grow in your intimacy with Him. And I think the first three chapters of Ephesians, <clears throat> in particular, are some of the most important verses in all the Bible. Uh, I really do think, especially after 20-plus years of ministry, uh, I've witnessed this. Most of our problems, most of our struggles, are because we have forgotten who we are in Christ. Uh, and the number one term in all of Ephesians is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And, and really what happens is we begin to feel a little more tempted, a little more beat up, a little bit more frustrated, a little bit more depressed, or whatever negative thing you want to put out there, when we forget who it is that God has made us to be. Uh, and, and the reality is, is that when you were, uh, weren't a Christian, you were one thing. And I don't think this is really talked about all that much, but, but really before you came to Christ, you were one thing. Then, in faith, you receive a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you receive this relationship with Jesus Christ, you become something totally different. And some of you might remember, some of you have been Christians long enough. I can't remember how many years ago it was, but it, it isn't something we do too much as Christians now. But it used to be that, that when you shared your faith, you would use this terminology. You would say, I'm a born-again Christian. It was almost as if there were those of you who understood that to just say you were a Christian wasn't going to be sufficient. You needed to throw in the born-again piece. Uh, and the reason for that is I think in part all these statistics started to get shared for uh, the broad range of evangelical Christians, which includes Muslims and Mormons and, and you name it. That's evangelical Christianity. And, and all the statistics about Christianity was lumped in with all of these different religions. And I think at a certain point some of you just said, and I mean broad cultural Christianity, hey, we're not like the rest of everyone who calls themselves Christians. We're born again. We're new creatures in Christ. That's the language that's used. And because of this newness, right, Paul, Paul has been driving home this reality. You are a new creation. You have been chosen. You have been adopted. You have been sanctified. You are to be made mature in Christ. And, and God has done this because of his great grace, right? And, and then in the second half of the book, which is where we've been for the last few months, <clears throat> we get away from the positional truths, our position in Christ, into the practical truths. And this is what we practice as Christians. Because of this deep relationship I now have with the Lord, I have developed this relationship with him and I walk with him. And one of the things that Christianity does that I deeply appreciate 
is it does not shy away from the difficulty of what it is to be a Christian, especially in a culture that is anti-Christian. Most of the New Testament that we read was anti-Christian. We forget this. We sometimes forget that when we're reading the books of the Bible, they are written to a group of people, oftentimes a group of Jews, who had, had basically said, now we're turning away from what we know is the orthodox faith of the Hebrew religion of Yahweh, and we now see that God has continued his plan of salvation uh, that Yahweh has produced through Christ himself. And literally what was happening with guys like Paul is it almost seemed like they were abandoning their original faith and now adopting a new kind of faith. And in order for people to make that kind of a shift, it had to, something radical had to happen. And all of us in the room know what happened, right? There was a man who came from heaven. That man was God. And then that man died on a tree for our sins. He became the curse so that we could become free. That, that is what occurred to change all of humanity. And now because of this relationship, Paul says, hey, listen, Christianity is not going to be easy. Christianity and faith and walking uh, this life of faith is not going to be uh, an easy thing. And so we come to this place, which we introduced last week in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, where Paul says, okay, finally, right? If you have your Bible in front of you, we'll stand in a moment. But just by way of introduction, I want you to see in verse 10 of chapter 6, finally, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul is now saying, okay, I'm going to wrap up this particular book uh, of great radical gospel truth and great radical Christian living, uh, but I need you to know, finally, brothers and sisters, I need you to know that life is not going to be easy. And so he tells us, he tells the Ephesian church, and he's telling you and I this morning, God is sharing this with you through his holy scriptures today. It's time for you to be strong. But the strength doesn't come from you. The strength doesn't come from your own inner being. It doesn't come from your education. It doesn't come from your heritage or your background. It comes from the strength that exists in the Lord. Again, in the Lord and the strength of his might. And in this particular text, Paul's saying, listen, as a Christian, you're entering into a spiritual battle. That's what this whole section is about. That there is something that's happening underneath everything that is spiritual and that our, our fight, our wrestling, it says, right? That hand-to-hand -hand kind of combat that is mentioned in this text. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against the spiritual principalities. We fight against the demonic realm that is against Christians. Now, I don't know about you, but we... We now come to this place where he says, you have to put on the whole armor of God. And if you're like me at all, you might begin to think, okay, I've got to start putting these pieces of armor on. But what we forget or is easy to overlook is that this armor, this armor actually isn't about just its individual pieces. It's a whole. It's teaching us to step into Christ. So when we read this passage and we start to talk about the armor of God, we need to take two things into consideration. One is where Paul was currently when he wrote this letter. How many of you astute Bible people know where Paul is as he's writing this letter? He's in prison. He has been in prison because Paul, Paul, right, he was, he was a Jew and he worshiped Yahweh. And then these people came along and said, Yahweh became a man in the name, in, in Jesus. And so he was so blown away by this. He thought it was heresy. Paul went around and he started literally to go murder Christians in the name of God. That's what he did. He murdered Christians in the name of God. 
He has a conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Most of you know that story. He becomes a Christian. He goes away for a short period of time. We don't hear from him in the New Testament for a little bit. Then he just rallies back on the scene with an incredible force. And he gives us most of what we read in the New Testament. He has been made completely new and completely born again. Now, Now, because of this, he gets empowered by the gospel and he begins to go from city to city and he preaches the gospel and he preaches Jesus and he preaches the good news and he preaches that sinners can be reconciled to God. And because humanity loves darkness over the light, they threw Paul in prison for all of the things that he had been proclaiming with his mouth. They saw him as a threat. And so currently, because he's preached the gospel, he's in this particular jail cell and he's writing to this Ephesians church, because the, the church of Ephesus, because he loves them and he cares for them. He has seen this church be planted. He has empowered Timothy to even take over this church. He loves these people. And as he's sitting in that jail cell and as he is under home arrest, really, he has soldiers who were guarding him. And those soldiers would have been of the Roman kind. And the Roman soldier who is there sitting by Paul and ensuring that he is being held under arrest would have been adorned in a particular kind of outfit. He would have had armor on. He would have been wearing a helmet. He would have had a belt around his waist. And that belt would have been used to hold different swords, a longer sword and more of like a dagger kind of sword. And and here is this Roman soldier as he's writing this particular passage. And many believe that what Paul is doing is he's pinning this and he's looking at the Roman soldier and he's taking away the pieces of armor and he's using them as images to say, this is what you should be adorned with. The clothing that you wear as a Christian matters, just like the clothing you wear in any kind of business or any kind of operation matters, right? Uh, How many of you have recently just winterized your home, right? How many of you wore pajamas to do that? My son did. He helped me out on Friday. So, so, so there's this, the, the, right, you, the right outfit for the right job. And Paul's saying the right outfit is the armor of God. And the armor isn't just the pieces. Now, now let, me, let me say, you keep that in mind. I think there's probably some truth to that. Paul knew the Roman soldiers. They would have been in existence. They would have been in population. He would have been able to have seen them. However, however, and I think this is more the case, Paul, as he writes this, isn't thinking so much about the Roman soldier as he is actually thinking about the Old Testament. Literally, the things that he has read here, we don't have time this morning, but every single piece of armor we're told in the Old Testament, God wears himself. These are, these are things that, 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 that describe for us who God is. Isaiah 59, 17. He, speaking of God, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And so here's what I want you to understand as we get into this text and we talk about the armor of God. Paul probably for sure was looking at the Roman soldier, but more importantly, especially for those of you in this room, he was pulling his truth. He was pulling his example from scripture, Uh, just like Jesus did, right? If you remember Jesus, when he starts his ministry, Satan leads him into the wilderness and he's tempted and he is hungry and he's isolated and he's tired and Satan begins to attack Jesus and he begins to ask Jesus certain questions right and how does Jesus respond to those questions he uses the word of God he uses the old testament to respond back to Satan himself 
And so as we see the spiritual warfare that exists, this idea of of teaching truth, preaching truth, and what truth is, and using that truth from scripture empowers the Christian to fight against the schemes of the devil, which is in this particular text, right? It says that that devil who's after us, the one of principalities, the the one who, all those wordings are just say, the, the, the demonic army that exists that we can't see is numerous and it's powerful, but it's strategic. If you take a look at verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers and the darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These things are spiritual in mind and we need to adorn ourselves with the armor of God that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Do you see that there? Go back to verse 11. That we may be able to stand against the schemes. Everyone say schemes. That idea of scheme, that word schemes is where we get our word methods. It literally means strategies. And another place in the New Testament, Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of the schemes of the devil. And so we talked last week, this was the theme basically of last week out of the text, that the devil is intelligent. He's not happenstance. He's considered a roaring lion, but, but he knows what he's doing. He knows how to tempt you. Satan knows how to take you down, and he's strategizing. And this morning, we're going to see that the first piece of armor, its importance, which teases out the rest of all the other pieces of armor, just taking one Sunday just on the belt of truth, how the belt of truth and the reality of truth will help us, as the text says, to stand firm. And, and it allow us to stand in his strength and his might and take note of the text inside the text as we read it. Nowhere will it tell you that you need to be strong that you need to win the battle because only Jesus can win the battle and only Christ has ultimately won that battle. He's already cut the head of the serpent off and and, and we already, those of us who are in Christ, we talked about this last week, Satan has no power over the believer other than what you allow him to have. You allow Satan to lie to you, you allow him to tempt you, he can get a foothold. But, But for those of us who understand our position in Christ, the first three chapters of Ephesians, We can stand against the schemes of the devil. So with that, let's dive into scripture this morning. If you're new, uh, we have a a practice here that just get our hearts and our bodies and our minds right. Uh, We love God's word. We honor it. Would you stand with me, please, as we read this morning's section? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood people are not our problem but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all, stand firm. To stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, help us to adorn ourselves with Christ himself, to be armored and protected by you. We trust that you will minister to us, that you will sanctify us, that you will guard us, that you'll protect us and you'll make us yours. And you'll help us to grow closer to you in every moment. 
We trust you for what you're going to do in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You can take a seat. Thank you. First point. The importance of truth. The belt of truth, as I mentioned, there, there's, again, the Roman soldier is an example, and then the Old Testament. The Roman soldier's belt, part of the importance of it is the Roman soldier's belt literally helped all of the other pieces of armor come in line. Without the belt, nothing else really was going to, to fit. Uh, and likewise, the, the Hebrew just so you know, they would wear basically a tunic. You'll find, you'll find oftentimes in the Old Testament, you find this at the end of Job, God will literally tell Job, he tells Job at the end of the book of Job, right? After Job has gone through this huge spiritual battle, he's lost his family, he's lost everything. And we come to that end of the book and Job's been questioning God. He's basically been asking God about his circumstances. God, why is this happening? Maybe you have felt that way in your life. God, why is this happening? Even his own friends come around him and they go, well, we know why it's happening. You're in sin, that's why. His wife even tells him to curse God and die because their marriage obviously was very healthy. And then as you get that into the book, after everything's kind of happened, God then says, okay, Job, I'm gonna answer you. And he tells Job this. He says, Job, gird up your loins like a man. There are other places actually in the Old Testament, some even in the New Testament, it says gird up the loins of your mind, gird them up. Uh, the picture of this was that for the Hebrew, if he was wearing basically uh, what would be considered long clothing, right? Almost kind of like a dress, but not a dress. He'd be wearing like a tunic. And, and what would happen is if he were to run in that tunic, uh, if he was to, to do any activity inside of that tunic, he would get tripped up because it would trip up his legs, right? The ladies in the room, you know this, right? You know that if you put on a dress that's nice and tight around here, there's only so much running you can do, right? Ladies, can you relate? When your legs can only go here to here, there'll be no sprinting. That's why so many of you love power walking. And so what would happen is for the Hebrew in his tunic, he, he would literally, his belt, if he was to go into any kind of warfare, any kind of battle, he would, what the Bible calls, gird up his loins. He would take, he would take the tunic and he would roll it up into his belt and it would allow his legs now to be free. He would have freedom. And that's one of the major importances of truth from the Bible. Truth brings freedom. But before we get there, we have to understand that this belt ties everything together. It helps us to move freely. It secures our identity, our integrity, our authority in Christ, all of it. It ties all of these radical truths together. It keeps us together. And the importance of truth in our society cannot be understated. First of all, truth, biblically speaking, God is the source of truth. So we say, I want to know what truth is because I don't want to be persuaded in in something that's untrue. God is that source of truth. Some of you will remember, right? Jesus is brought brought before Pilate. And he's standing before Pilate. And really Jesus now at this particular moment is he's standing before this individual who has the ability to either crucify him or free him. Right, and so Pilate is standing there and he begins to ask Jesus all of these questions. Are you really who you say you are? Do you have any miraculous power? And we know that Pilate, as he's speaking to Jesus and as he's talking to Jesus, he knows that Jesus is unique and special, right? Because he says, I don't find any guilt in Jesus. But one of the things Jesus says to Pilate, right? And he says very little. Jesus, oftentimes when he's in these positions of, of hardship, there's very little that comes out of his mouth. 
The Old Testament prophesied that he'd be like a lamb brought before uh, its slaughters without saying a word, without saying anything, but quietly going to his deathbed. So Jesus stands before this man, Pilate, who has the power to free him. And this is exactly what Jesus says to Pilate. Again, he says very little. So what he does say must mean something very radical and very, very true and very deep. John 18, 37. Jesus literally says, I came into the world. He tells, he's telling Pilate who he is. Just the language alone, I came into the world. I'm not from here, Mr. Man. I come from somewhere else. And I came into the world, he says, and he tells us why he came to bear witness to the truth, to finally show humanity what it is to no longer live in lies, to no longer live in false identity, to no longer live in pain and agony. I've come to bring truth and truth that will set you free. And then he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. I just need to say this this morning. If, if you've come here and you consider yourself a non-Christian and a lot of what I am saying doesn't make sense to you, it's because the veil has not been lifted yet. It's God's truth. When it goes out and you become a child of God, your desires as a new creation and a new creature change. You want to know the Bible. You want to study the Bible. You want to go to church. You want to go to fellowship. You want to sing. You want to sing songs that you didn't even sing when you were growing up, right? You, you start to sing things that you didn't think that you wanted to ever sing before. But this reality here is that God in his truth is the source. He says, as he said to Pilate, I am the, I am the truth. And Pilate then says what our culture is saying today. Remember what Pilate says? What is truth? Pilate's asking the same question that so many people are asking today. What is truth? Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And Pilate didn't even fully realize truth was standing right in front of his face. What is truth? God is truth. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's truth. Truth is that you cannot know truth <laughs> unless you know God. And the way that you know God is through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus says. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why is this such a big deal? Well, first of all, most of you, I think, probably already know this. I came, uh, I came across this stat this week that 67% of Americans have come across uh, in any particular day uh, a fake, new, fake news articles. Anybody ever come across any fake news articles? You giggle, you giggle, but 30% of you, the statistics say, reshare it, right? So, so six, close to two-thirds of us are going to go, yep, uh, I see it. And then, and then a third of us is going to go, not only do I see it, I'm going to share it, right? And we don't know what to believe. There's never been a time like uh, our day and age, at least that we know of in our, in our current memory, uh, when we just couldn't trust politicians, couldn't trust leaders, couldn't, you can't even trust evangelical Christian pastors anymore if you look at social media and see how many guys fall or get into things that they shouldn't be getting into. Our world is filled with lies, deceptions, doubts, fears, and half-truths, is it not? And, and if, if you don't believe that statistic, I came across another one from CBS that stated the average American lies four times a day. The average person in the United States lies at least four times a day. In that particular article, it went on to say, fake news 
in our day and age is now literally becoming a life and death matter. And it's eroding trust and respect with each other, which trust and respect, the article goes on, secular article goes on to say that trust and respect are a backbone to a civilized society and we're losing it. Basically what he's saying is we're becoming more uncivilized by not having truth. That's the mantra of even the, the, the secular culture. We're eroding into chaos because we don't know what is true. And if you don't know what is true now, you just wait until AI takes over. Deep fake videos, deep fake audio clips. You're not going to know if the person that's on that screen is even a real person. And if what is being said is actually coming from that person's mouth. And the reality of what this is saying in this particular text is the importance of God's truth is that God is truth. You can know truth, and truth comes from God, and you do not have to be persuaded or questioning what it is that you have to believe. Imagine, imagine being so concrete in your relationship with Jesus Christ that nothing shakes you and nothing makes your knees quake. Now, as a pastor, I hear it all the time. All the time, you, you people, (laughs) the people I love, you guys get so freaked out. And I mean just you, Christianity as a whole, so freaked out about the, the world's climate and what's happening in society, Right? I don't know if you know this or not. There's some things happening in the Middle East. It's just minor. There's a couple little things happening with Iran and China. And, you know, there's all... And then we have an election cycle coming up. Praise the Lord. Just praise God, right? And every... This was this is a true story. I can share this now because it's been two weeks. <laughs> or however many weeks it was. I, I don't always... I don't always really look at the news on Friday and Saturday. And I don't do that on purpose because, in part, because I just don't want to get wrapped up in it and I don't want it to creep out into my messages. And so I came on the particular Sunday right after uh, Hamas attacked Israel and I was clueless. And all of you were coming up to me and like, oh my gosh, can you believe this? Can you believe believe what? And I literally was just doing this. No way. I know, it's awful. In my head, I was like, I need to go online and find out what's happening. And, And here's the thing. Here's the thing though, like, like, I didn't share anything on that particular Sunday about Israel because just so you know, my job isn't to commentate on all the, the, the current goings. My job is to teach ancient truths that will exist time and time again, generation after generation. There will be wars. There'll be rumors of wars. There'll be hardship. There'll be chaos. There'll be rioting. There'll be murders. But Jesus Christ is on the throne, and I don't need to trip because I know my soul is secure. And I know that if your soul is, is secure as well, I don't need to be frightened about these things. I don't need to be dismayed. You as someone of faith, you need to stand on the concrete ground that God has given you. Several years back when Trump was elected president, we had someone in our church, really a, a liberal gal, and, and she came. She'd been part of our church for two years, and she was trying to get us to, to absorb all kinds of you know cultural truths, and we were wrestling through some of that with her. And going into the Bible and, and we, man, we're just wrestling week after week. Uh, and, and then when Trump became president, she called the church and she asked us, she literally asked the pastoral staff. She was so freaked out, right? Because she felt like Trump was a racist and Trump was all these things. And, and she said, hey, um, uh, Trump is elected president. I'm really worried. I'm really scared. And is church, are you going to say something on Sunday or is it just going to be church? 
church as normal? Is it just going to be? Is it just going to be the same old regular old Sunday? Because she wanted us to say something. She felt like the pastoral staff needed to come up on the stage and have a position against Trump and make a political stance and a political statement in regards to the election. I think it was Wayne who took the call at the time. And, and Wayne said, if, if you mean if it's going to be a normal Sunday by we're going to teach God's word and we're going to proclaim the gospel, then absolutely yes, it's going to be a normal Sunday. And we didn't say anything about the election. Why? Because God's truth lasts a lot longer than four years or eight years. It lasts way longer than that. And we can put our trust in God, not a president, not our politicians, not even our pastors, but in Christ himself. Because his truth, his truth will liberate you from the bondage of the lies of the culture. What does he say in John 8, 31? Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Can you imagine, again, I don't know how many of you are, I'm in that place, man, where I just recognize, man, I know who sits on the throne and there is nothing in this culture, not even another COVID that's gonna make my knees buckle because I know the one who holds me in his hands and he liberates me from the fear of the world, the fear of the enemy, the fear of my own sin, the fear of my own guilt and condemnation, the fear of my own depression and my own hardships and struggles, and he allows me to put my house on the rock that is himself. God is in control. Don't let anyone take that from you. Because ultimately we have to recognize that this freedom is needed because sin will enslave you in two ways. Sin enslaves you with domination and it enslaves you with damnation. Domination is, is this idea that, that Satan, when he, he leads you down his path of unrighteousness, he enslaves you to run after something that looks more desirable than Jesus. Why is there drug addiction? Why is there pornography? Why is there alcoholism? All of those things exist because it's people trying to fill the hole inside of their hearts. They're, they're trying to fill their emptiness with anything other than actually Jesus himself, right? So, so I don't know if you know this or not, but when you turn on CNN, you will not hear the gospel. Hey, and then those of you who are Fox people, you're not gonna hear the gospel on Fox either, right? Because nobody wants to talk about man's issues as being a sin issue, being an evil issue, or being a satanic issue. Right? CNN and Fox are not in the business of fixing your solutions. They're in the business of getting you more worried about it so you'll keep tuning in so they can keep selling commercials. They don't care whether they give you the truth or not. You can't believe everything that's on the news. You can't believe what's on, uh, on the internet. You really can't, right? Is that the mantra now, right? I know it's true. How do you know it's true? I read it on the internet. Wikipedia, right? Just nailed it. Truth will set you free. Truth will set you free in a way that only truth can, right? It'll liberate you from being held in condemnation to the dominion that sin can bring. But sin also brings you damnation, right? The end of the road that, that, that is false, that is lying, that is sin, is hell itself. And that, that reality comes from desiring someone or something more than Jesus Christ. That's what idol worship is. And the first step for the, to become a Christian is to say, I've been worshiping all kinds of other things other than Jesus. 
I've been worshiping the way I look. I've been worshiping clothing. I've been worshiping status, my bank account, uh, right? You, you know if you, your God is, is in the stock market if you pull up the Dow every day just to see where it's at, right? And the reality is, is that God frees you from those things. And the bell also, not only is it radically important, but it serves some particular functions as well, right? It, it's, it's something that, that should be helpful. And the first thing that that belt does is it brings unity and stability to the believer. Unity and stability to the, to the believer, right? How many of you uh, know that when you wear a belt, it's not recommended that you wear it loosely? Russ, you cinch that bad boy down, right? You cinch it down. It's not to be loosely worn. It's to be tight fitting so you're not hindered in battle. And it ties everything together to unify and to stabilize us spiritually. Because if you don't have truth, everything else will just fall off of you, right? Truth is what binds it all together. And the church, the church is called to be a buttress of truth. We are to be anti-cultural, anti-mantra of what the culture says. And we are to stand up in spite of the, 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 the consequences that may come to stand up and preach truth. Because the stability of truth allows and ensures that when, when the different winds of doctrine come, and they, they, they will, that you won't be tossed to and fro. Do you measure, remember Ephesians chapter four? What does it say in chapter four, verse 14? That we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves carried by every doctrine, by human cunning and the craftiness in deceitful schemes. If you're in Ephesians, you should look at it again, right? Paul is not taking this word, the schemes of the devil and and using it out of nowhere. He's repeating himself. And he is saying in Ephesians chapter four, again, before Ephesians six, there are schemes. Satan is scheming to manipulate and to destroy you. But truth matures you and it brings you to a place where you won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. There are so many false teachers out there. One of the things that I'm thankful for that I don't live in the Bay Area. If you're visiting from the Bay Area, just get out of hell and move here. Come on over. Some of you have already made the move. Come on. No, Bay Area needs Christians too, so maybe you should stay. But in the Bay Area, I don't know why I brought that up, to be honest with you. Maybe just because I'm just really glad I don't live in the Bay Area. No, uh, um, I do remember why I was going to say it. But we don't live in a city. And because we don't live in a city, we are insulated to a great degree. Like there's a lot of things that we don't experience. There's a lot of things that, that we don't see. But, but if you just step out of Truckee for a little bit and you step into the city or, or if you step onto the internet, which is another wild, wild west, uh, like YouTube, you can find false teacher after false teacher after false teacher. And they're more numerous than the sand of the sea. And, and to the point where for me, and the reason I say we're lucky is because I know that many of you, I could mention some of the names. It's not even worth doing because many of you don't even know they exist. But there's, they literally have, some of these guys have millions and millions and millions of viewers, millions of clicks, and they're teaching heresy. They're teaching false gospel, false reality, false ways of salvation, and it's just everywhere. And by God's grace, uh, 
By God's grace, we get to live in Truckee. And by God's grace, we have an opportunity as a church to continually rally around the Bible and its truth. Not around a pastor, not around a denomination, not around a particular set of music that we like. We rally around the fire that is Christ himself. And as we rally, rally around that fire that is Christ himself, he allows us to see what is true and what isn't true. And he solidifies us so that we cannot and will not be tossed to and fro by all the different teachings that happen throughout the Christian culture and society. We need this truth. It also protects us against deception. Truth protects us against deception from the enemy, but it also protects us from the deception of ourselves. How many of you are a, uh, a great source of discouragement to yourself? It's easy, and we'll get to this a little bit more here in just a few moments before we close, but it's easy, it is easy for us to fall into the trap of preaching to ourselves. I don't know how many of you realize this, there's been some great theological work done on this, that every one of you in this room have an inner voice. And you're constantly talking to that inner voice. I think it's Paul Tripp who says, just don't do it out loud because people think you're crazy. But every single one of you have an inner voice that's telling you something. Right? Telling you something about you. Telling you something about your spouse or your children. How many of you have allowed, come on, I know it's everyone in the room. You've allowed, whether intentional or non-intentional, most likely non-intentional, where you've allowed Satan to creep into your thoughts and to say things to you that you just now, that you now know today just completely are not true. Oh, my wife doesn't love me. That's a lie from the enemy. I'm not loved by God. It's a lie from the enemy. Fear that your kids are gonna turn out all jacked up. It's a lie from the enemy. The, 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 those, those are all things that, that Satan will get your inner voice to say to yourself. Uh, let, me, let me move on here. I don't have too much time. Lastly, truth is a great tool of sanctification for our growth. It purifies us. Jesus said in John 17, 17, as he prayed, Lord, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification is our ability to grow. So let me just close here in just the next three to four minutes on how we should then apply this reality of the belt of truth. How do we take this belt of truth and actually do something with it? It's obviously my hope so far that you see that the belt of truth is important and that it liberates you and that God is the source of truth and that that truth will ultimately make you freer than you could ever imagine. It's my hope that you see that that truth that is God's word, that belt that we wear, brings stability and unity. That's what unifies us, the truth that we all worship Jesus, and that truth will protect us against deception, against the enemy's lies, and that truth will help us grow. So what do we do with it? Number one, diligently study and meditate his truth. Take time to look at God's word and just even look at the words. Like, like I'll give you an example, Acts 17, 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. Do you see it? This is speaking of the Bereans who, who literally took God's word and they studied it and they meditated on it so that they could see if these things were true or not. They took what was being said from these other teachers and they went home and began to study the scripture for themselves to see if it was true. This is what you need to be doing. 
Hear me clearly. It's not my job to study scripture so you don't have to. Did you know that? Put me out of the job, would you? Diligent study of God's word. And, and I, gi- I give you an example. And I read that example from Acts 17.11. You go, what does it look like to study God's word? You take Acts 17.11 and you just do this. Really simple. They received the word with all eagerness. Just take that word received. They received it. Just chew on that. What is it like to receive God's word? What is the definition of receive? Maybe you look that up. Maybe that definition means to bring in. But they received it. It means they were open to it. They weren't closed off. They just meditate on the word. With all eagerness. They received it with eagerness. What does it mean to come to the Bible with eagerness? Think about that word. Eager. Study it. Meditate on it. Examining the scriptures. Take that word. Do you see what I'm saying? You just take the words and you just meditate on them and you chew them up. And if you need other resources, you can go a lot further than that. But my point in all this is look at the word examine the word, receive the word, meditate on it, and get to the truth so that you can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Number two, when you do that, when you are studying, let truth be relational, not just factual. Right? You are not studying like a scientist would with a hypothesis and he's dissecting and he's cutting the thing open. That's not how you study God's word. You're not studying for head knowledge. You're studying for affection. Right? This, this, is a, this book is an invitation into a very romantic, blissful, amazingly joyous relationship with God himself. This is a love letter. Right? And you meditate on those words, not just for the head, but you meditate on it for the heart. And then number three, you live truth out. You align your life in truth, both privately and in in public. See, the idea of private, and almost every single theologian has said this on this particular topic uh, of the belt. I, I didn't share this earlier, but the Roman soldier would wear that belt. He'd have a place for his sword and for his his smaller sword like a knife and, and then hanging in front of him would be all these leather straps. Maybe you can picture it in your mind. You've seen Roman armor and, and these leather straps would have heavy metal pieces of uh, look like ornaments. They look like decoration, but they serve a purpose. It's to keep the leather nice and taut and heavy to hang down low. And the whole purpose of that belt hanging like that with those leather straps, anyone want to say it out loud? It's to protect the most vital you just got to protect the area. That's, it's a protective device to protect areas that need protection. Right? And, and, and the point of it when he says, gird up your loins like a man. What the Bible is saying is you need to be paying attention to the truth in your private life. What kind of person are you when no one's around? What kind of thoughts do you have when there's nobody else in the room? Are they honoring God? Are they thankful? Are they filled with gratitude and biblical truth? Or or do you allow the inner life to take you places where you know you're not supposed to go? Maybe it's lust or gossip or deceit. But you've got to pay attention to the truth in your private life first. In fact, Scripture actually tells your leaders that they need to pay close attention to their life and their doctrine so that they save themselves and save their hearers. 
You have to pay attention to both your life and your doctrine. But then publicly, we're told that we need to be sharing truth with one another. We need to be saying, literally Ephesians 4.15 says that we're to speak truth in love and to put away falsehood and to speak truth to one another. And so we encourage each other with truth. We share with one another the identity that we have in Christ, that God is behind us, that the Lord is present in your marriage and at your job. He, he's present in the room with you. You have to share those things to, with one another. And every now and then, you've got to stand up for truth in society that wants to continually mute the truth. And then lastly, as I said this morning in the beginning, some of you may be here and you don't have a relationship with the Lord. Like you're here, you're coming because you you see that there's something very beautiful about some of the people, yet a little weird too, right? I mean, I've said this before, but what we do on Sundays is really weird. It may not be weird to you because you've been doing it for like 10 years, but you take somebody who's never grown up in church, never stepped in the church walls, never sang a Christian song, and they walk through these doors, and you are a weirdo, man. And you may be here and you're coming and you're saying, okay, the people are one thing. But, and I've heard this a lot. I've heard people say, I absolutely love what I'm hearing coming out of the Bible. And that's why I keep coming. I want to know more about the Bible. And here's the thing, though. It's not about just knowing the Bible. It's about knowing Jesus. And so if you feel like you are unsaved in the room, that is to say you don't have a walk with Christ, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, ask for revelation right now. And we're gonna close in just a few moments. We're gonna sing. And that would be your opportunity to just say, Lord, I wanna know this God that this guy knows up here on the stage. I don't know that guy, but I can tell that he loves the Lord. That's one thing I know people say about me. No matter where I go, if they're a Christian, they know that I love Jesus. I may not be the best preacher. I may not be the best counselor. I may have all kinds of other issues, but I love Christ. And I want you to love Christ too. And the only way that you can know Christ and know his truth is if Jesus himself shows this to you. It has to be a revelation from the Lord. Let me read 2 Corinthians 4, 3. The gospel is veiled and it's veiled to those who are perishing because the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded their minds and is keeping them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. But, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4, God said, let there be light and the let the light shine out of the darkness and his light has shone on our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Pray for that. Lord, shine on me. You Maybe you haven't heard from the Lord in a few years. His voice seems far off. Whether you are someone who wants to know Christ today or someone that wants to hear from the Lord again, let that be your concluding prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, shine upon my heart that I can know the truth of God and that truth will set you free and and, and if, if that's the reality for you I promise you you'll never look back there's nothing more fabulous nothing more beautiful nothing more valuable than following after Jesus Christ I'm telling you it's worth it it's worth every bit of pain you may endure it's worth all the prayer it's worth every bit of it and I pray that you know him and you know his truth let's pray together Lord, we know that man is imperfect. That includes me for sure. But Lord, you are perfect 
And Lord, your word is perfect. And so I pray that each of us in this room would not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways we would acknowledge you and that you would guide our paths. We know, Lord, that that path that you're guiding us on is a path to eternal joy and celebration in you. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this morning's message to drive us into your word, to drive us into deeper relationship with you and deeper community with one another. Lord, we ask you to do an effectual work. We ask for those who may be here who do not know you, that right now you would press upon their heart that they would know you today and that you would help all of us grow in our relationship with you. We trust you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Family, let's stand together. Uh, We introduced this.